ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Yo, 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 people, how's it going? So anyway, this week on the Ascend podcast, this is a conversation that I recorded about three weeks ago in central London with a guy called Tony Riddle. It really was a nightmare driving into central London as always, but it was well worth it for this great conversation that came out with this anyway. But anyway, this conversation is with a guy called Tony Riddle. He calls himself a natural lifestylist. He's a well-being and rewilding coach. And his mission is to restore us all with ancestral health. And the theme of this conversation and the topic what we talked about is basically how do we rewild our human. So really the emphasis of this conversation was really talking about how do we sort of bring back our ancestral roots and the benefits from that back into the modern day world. And how do we reconnect with our ancient ways. In this conversation, we talked about everything from grounding, we talked about barefoot running, cold water exposure, we talked about rewilding our living environment, rewilding our movement environment, rewilding our DNA. We talked about so much. You will say this conversation is a very rich conversation and has so many interesting nuggets in between. I'm sure you're going to love it. And I just wanted to mention before we dive in with this podcast, thank you so much to all the people out there who bought tickets for the break and convention it is now completely sold out and it is now only a few days from now so in a couple of days time from now after recording this intro i will be heading down to london for for the for the for this weekend coming i'm going to be doing loads of different podcasts with loads of interesting speakers who are going to be attending the break and convention so i'm looking forward to meeting you all down there who i know who've already reached out and said you're going and anyone else out there who has bought tickets Really looking forward to hanging out and catching up and seeing you at this event. And I just wanted to mention as well that if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is through the Patreon page. It really is the best way to help me to keep doing what I'm doing. As you know, I'm traveling all over the place now recording these interesting conversations. And the best way to help me to keep doing what I'm doing is to support through the Patreon page. We're living in a time now, as you know, where you can put your attention and put your energy into things that you want to see more of. And all I'm asking of you is if you find it in your heart, please consider supporting the podcast through the Patreon page. So anyway, I love you all and enjoy this conversation with Tony Riddle. Um, I came across your work a few times and it's sort of come across my radar and I've always wanted to have a conversation because I think you're sort of, the way that you live your life is, I think it's very similar to the way I live my life as well. So I think obviously this conversation, I think it's going to be very rich for a lot of people as well to get your perspective, get my perspective. 
of sort of how they both intertwine and stuff. Yeah. But um, I hear a lot of people sort of calling you the um, the Captain Fantastic of. Have you seen that film, The Captain Fantastic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a lot of people say that you're the Captain Fantastic of um of London, <laughs> running around barefoot and stuff with your top off and things like that, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. But, I um. It's funny, I've, I've been writing a book and um, one of the chapters that didn't really do it for me was this one about this life that we had in Ibiza and and I was being referred to as like Captain Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because we were unschooling our kids as well. So we unschooled our kids, you know, and we're living, we were living on, 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 a, on a 40 acre farm on a mountain, basically just, um, yeah, disconnected in a way live it not off grid because you still have you know we're living in a finca we had a saltwater pool but the kids were naked most of the day and then we could just have pure freedom so we knew what it was to have that and to tune into it which i think is a connection most people need we need to have because without it this just becomes again it's a social norm and then depending on what your tribe is of influence within that society yeah. will lead you down whatever path they're the ones that influence you really yeah definitely. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That aspect I wanted to touch on as well is I know you you mentioned the word rewilding a lot. Rewilding yeah. gets put a lot on your sort of the things that you're talking about. Sure. What does what does the word rewilding mean to you? Mean to me? Yeah. Um, it's looking to the natural world and natural beings of the world to find ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology, um, and to find ways of living in every environment um, that just create better health and well-being which you know it doesn't sound you know it doesn't sound so captain fantastic then do you know what i mean it's just like wild well-being and we need to understand what the benchmark of what it is to live naturally in natural environments to understand what our biological norms are because at the moment as i say we have social norms but they're not necessarily biological norms and then to most when they view that from the outside and they haven't met me and they don't know me that biological norm is perceived as socially extreme and why is rewilding important is there's a term which peter khan coined which is environmental generational amnesia so let's give you an idea of that let's say so um scary stat is that 60 percent of the wildlife population has been reduced in the last 50 years so that's half one adult lifespan if you live in the blue zone so <laughs> so um that means that every generation that's born, like my kids, I have a new, I have a, we have a new baby coming. So that new baby, its new benchmark of what is a wildlife is now reduced 60%, right? Same as my other kids. And then in five years time, 10 years time, and it keeps reducing. So that's wildlife, but we're not saying, well, what about wild humans, right? So no one, I mean, what about wild humans? I mean, yeah. they're, they're just being wiped out, right? So we really, it's very difficult to then get a benchmark of what is, natural and what is normal for us as a sapien species and to give you another classic example that i train like um i've got like a i coach this 70 i think he's 72 as a lawyer still a lawyer and he would say on this mark of generational amnesia just to put it into perspective when he first became a lawyer people wrote letters right so he'd write a letter and then he said he'd have a week to deal with the response of the letter then the fax machine came, then the email came, and now it's just instant, 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 instant. And so that, that, the whole world has been reshaped in that, you know, just that window of time. 
you know, so imagine like 10,000 years, that's farming. 200,000 years, that's the sapien, you know? And then go on, right? Six million years, the hominin, you know? So we have to understand that what's, what's day by day by day is being removed from what would be a natural habitat. Um, am I asking anyone to go live in a cave? No, absolutely not. I'm just saying that you have to understand what, what it is to live naturally in any environment. So I've been privy to some incredible lifestyles, right? I've trained A-listers and just sports personalities, millionaires, billionaires, students, whoever. Doesn't matter where anyone is on that, on that monetary ladder of success. Okay. Let's call it Maslow's pyramid, right? If their fundamental physical, social, spiritual needs aren't met, then they're suffering. And what does that mean to suffer? Well, the classics that we can now go to that have come through, which is almost a line of rewilding, would be the Rat Park study, right? We're all familiar now pretty much with that. So rats living in a, uh, living in a laboratory are given two water feeders, one water, one opiates. The rats go, keep sucking on the opiates, show signs of addiction, die, right? Bruce Alexander comes along and says, well, actually, hold on a minute. Rats don't live in a laboratory. Let's create a rat park. And the rat park essentially is where the rats can get their physical, social, spiritual needs met. Don't know what the spirituality is of a rat, but they get their needs met. And guess what? They give them water feeders, water and opiates in the next one. Rats don't so show sign of addiction. And what's, and not one of them dies. And furthermore is when they take the rats that are addicted in the laboratory, and they culture them into the new rat park, they go through self-withdrawal, you know? So that's what it means to not have your needs met, except... Just, just a funny thing about that, just added that as well, about the, with the rat park. The rat park wasn't only just... The ver some of the variables that were added to that experiment were also aspects of play. Yeah, yeah. So when the aspects of play were added to that environment, yeah. they actually neglected the cocaine and yeah. then went to play instead. Yeah, it's incredible. So this plays, for me, is like a... For instance, play... In a tribal essence, let's say in, in the real understanding what play would be, because we can only go to nature again to understand what it would be. And um, Peter Gray's, he asked 10 um, leading anthropologists, what does play look like? And they, they basically just say from infancy through to the age of 16, that's all people do, kids do. And what they do is through that process, they learn everything they need to learn about their adult environment but without any adult intervention, which is different to our perception of play. Sports are adult-led, right? Playground, adult supervision. Board games, adult-led, adult-designed. Um, gaming, all adult-designed. And they're false rhythms and tempos that are explored within them, but physically, socially, and spiritually at the same time. Whereas if you were to return back to those studies in nature, those kids are... Like my kids, when I see them playing, they have freedom to play because we unschool them. and It's child-led, everything they do is child-led is that they get to play everything. They're being everything. And in nature, of course, you would then be the plants, the rocks, and the animals. Um, and every detail about that environment you learn. So they learn the smell of the animals, the weight of the animals. They learn how to track. They know where everything is in that environment. But they've been it, which then you could argue is then the closest thing to what one consciousness would be because you have actually been the environment. We were talking about Bruce earlier. Bruce, when he discussed like the Benjeli tribe, that they're, they're just, they are just being. They're in this state of being that we could only really achieve of in deep meditation. But kids do that, you see. You know, kids in the zoo, even in the laboratory experiment of today, still up until the age of seven are in deep meditation. That's, that's the freaky stuff because 
they're learning everything they need to learn about their environment in those first formative years. Yeah, the mind's, the mind's very malleable then. And it, yeah, total plasticity. And then that becomes the templates for the rest of their life. So we have to be really mindful as an adult species. What the hell are we, what the hell are they observing from us, right? And, and that's why rewilding is also important because we need to give them natural observations, really, you know? Of course. And, and with, with that being said as well, not just, I know you're looking at the bigger picture and thinking about children and stuff, yeah. but you have to be fit for service yourself. So oh, if you, absolutely. so if your mind's, um, still in all these bad habits and bad patterns, well, naturally, unconsciously, you're going to put that on your children and not just your children, friends and family around you as well. So I mean, that's a real rabbit hole because if you think about it, that we're all walking around with our inherited first six years and those inherited first six years are the inherited six years and so on. So we keep, keep going down that path. And lucky for us that we can now get behind a mic and talk about this because the generations like my parents, my dad, for instance, that, that just wouldn't be possible. And so in, in actual fact, most of their emotions were culled because of post-traumatic stress disorder through wars and experiences. It, for just to chop your it feels like for me as well in my life, it feels that like I'm spending, the, I spent the last 20 years trying to undo all that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, well, I'm 44 now, right? Yeah. So you're lucky you've spent 20 years unraveling that and being in, in your 30s, right? So, you know, and there's many things we can be doing there, but I think firstly it's to understand that, you know, it's not your fault. Do you know what I mean? We all need to go down that path. That's, it's not our fault. And it's also, but it's also not our parents' fault because it's their inherited six years. First of all, it's forgiveness, right? And also a bit of gratitude in there for all the ancestors that went before us that enabled us to sit here now and have the discussion to hopefully be the change for the next generations to come. Do you know what I mean? But, um, I think going into those first six years is where the, I think that's where the work is. You know, if you want to heal the next six years for the next six years that come along, I mean, you have to heal your first six years. I think that's where it needs to go. And that might include in the womb as well, right? There's that a lot said for that last trimester and then into the first three years, especially for emotional and then, and then through to what would be the imaginative layers of the brain before intellect. Yeah. So I think those first layers are probably crucial. And we all, you know, we know that Gabo Mate's work's great for that, talking yeah, about really implicit is. memory and going into the first years. He's got a fantastic, just to jump in, he's got a fantastic book on child, on our children as yeah. well. Psychology of how your interactions with the children, because a lot of people don't realize he's wrote books about the children as well. Yeah, even la just even language, but there's, you know, there's, there's some amazing stuff out there now. Again, I think for parents to suddenly say, well, actually, when I'm speaking to my child, am I speaking to my child or is it the subconscious tape playing out of how I was spoken to as the child? And I think being a parent, you really do pick up on the negatives within that language. But I think now, again, it's a crucial time that like we have things like plant medicine we can go and play with. And, you know, I think from my experiences of a lot of that work was it was very much about ascending. This is the Ascend podcast, right? And to get to get to a lot of the time we're ascending, but in a way we're kind of not going in and dealing what's really much deeper internally. And so I've done ceremonies recently that have been about going in and literally just turning up the subconscious and seeing those first, even the last trimester, I saw the womb, I saw the birth canal, I went through a rebirthing, full rebirthing experience where I got to see literally, oh, here's another one. And here, there was all my little traumas from being a I mean, baby upwards and the languages and the conversations that were happening. And the really weird things around the emotions that were coming in, like, um, so I was a real bugger as a kid, right? Always in trouble. 
and I was in trouble. We, we stole a moped, right? We were really young. Yeah. Right? And it was like completely nuts. And the police, I arrived back at my house and my, the police are there and I'm with my parents are there and I'm standing there. I'm a bit older now, right? And, um, I'm looking I'm, I'm, and I'm absolutely shitting myself thinking, Oh my God, you know, and I'm feeling all these emotions like guilt and shame and whatever it was. But in this ceremony, I got to see it as, which is really weird because the ceremony is almost, I'm seeing it through my eyes, but then I'm seeing it as a third party, which I guess is the consciousness within the environment at that moment. And the consciousness in that moment is looking at me and then it looks at my dad. So I'm now me as the kid experiencing guilt and shame. And I look at my dad, but it's not my guilt and shame. I'm experiencing my dad's guilt and shame. He's feeling guilt and shame because he's put me in that environment that enabled me to go out, steal a moped and get in trouble by the police because he's responsible for providing the environment for me to what should be thrive, right? But it was clear signs that we were surviving. We weren't thriving. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I understand. and then there was others and then it goes back and back and back and back and it's getting layer by layer by layer by layer. And then I saw things like my, my parents having arguments about our house and, and I was tiny and I was this little boy sitting at the top of the stairs at this point. I don't know what age, even must be four or something like that, but crying and sobbing because I thought our house was being taken away. And because it wasn't resolved in that moment, it meant that I've carried that. So it was only until recently I got to saw that, see that emotion. And up until that point, I would still have this little niggle in, it, in things that I would do. Things are really great right now. I feel amazing. Any minute it's going to be taken away. And it would be a real subconscious thing. And I, of course, I'd recognize it. So I do breath work and I do meditation. I try and go into it. But again, it's only an intellectual conversation that hasn't gone into the deep layers of where it resides for me to truly honor it, forgive it and let it go. But then also as well, just that's a, that's, honestly, it's so interesting that you're talking about this now because two podcasts ago, I just explained the story about how I had the same experience what you had where I was sort of had this deep integration with a sort of a plant medicine mm. and it was telling us all these sort of deep insights and showing us all my past emotions and stuff. But it's so interesting how, like you said, it's about sort of trying to understand it, but at the same time, you can't, it's hard to put our human human language on the words and on the lessons that come through because I think this, the experiences are so deep Deep, deep rooted as well that it some they might actually be unfolding unconsciously like even even when you're in your day-to-day life just walking around with your family them lessons might just be slowly unraveling from that one experience but i just wanted to um add to that as well because i thought it was something really interesting with um because obviously the aspect of rewilding and stuff like natural movement eating healthy all these different aspects of, of rewilding for me i want to ask you do you feel that like they they force you to do that to go more internal because in my life, when I'm when I'm more aligned with nature, I'm sort of becoming more of a rewilded human, sort of say. It feels like that process of doing all them practices forces me more inward and within myself. Does do you feel yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, I think you become more grounded within the practice. Yeah. Like even you know studies show around grounding, don't they? Even removing your shoes and. But of course, if you start to up the vibration on anything you're doing, it's because you're going into a growth state. So if you could bring in Bruce Lipton's epigenetics at this stage, right, where he's like the granddaddy of that stuff and, you know, the amazing experiments around Petri dishes and they show a Petri dish and cells have two signals. They have growth and they have protection. So you and I are sitting here. We're 40 trillion cells each sitting in a Petri dish right now, right? Exactly. And all cells behave the same. So all 40 trillion cells will behave the same. And so they then, they then start to create a signal and the signal for the, the cell we can relate to being perception. So your whole physiology um, and the signal that your cells receive would be through perception. So the first thing would be, how do I perceive myself today in the world? 
right? That would be one thing. Then the other thing is that they bring in toxins and they introduce them into the petri dish. In the petri dish, it means the cells instantly go into a state of protection. When they add more nourishing information to the petri dish, the petri dish goes, the cells within the petri dish, the identical cells at this stage, all go into growth. So we can then say, okay, what do I want to be in growth or protection? So the way I look at that would be sympathetic, parasympathetic, right? Sympathetic state versus parasympathetic. That's what the cells are showing us within the petri dish. The more toxic your lifestyle, the more protection your cells are going to be in, which then you cannot be a grounded being at that stage because you're in fight and flight. You're in a state of, um, it's fear, right? It's fear. It's not fear. Fear is okay because it should be a trigger that goes on and off and it teaches us many things. I think it's more the insidious kind of worry. You know, worry is different. I think we, we call it fear, but I think we need to more move towards the term worry over fear. It's like this constant language of stuff. Oh my God, this might happen. That might happen. This might happen. Firstly, you have the six years generating the signal that's altering your perception of your environment that then determines those cells to go into a state of protection. But also you have culturally what's being put into your petri dish, which is based on also the first observation that came in from your first six years. So rewilding would be to look at those, look at the petri dish and say, right, Dan, let's look at breathing today. Okay. What would be a more toxic way of breathing for me? Okay. I'm going to breathe in and out through my mouth and stimulate my sympathetic nervous system. Or would it be, I'm already sympathetic. Let's breathe in and out through our nose. So we get parasympathetic and then we have a chance of turning that petri dish into a growth promoting state again. Do you know what I mean? Such a simple kind of way of looking at it. And then you could say food, right? You know, food, is it going to be good for me to eat a um, domesticate? Let's just call it animal products, right? Because, you know, people are going to eat meat. And let's discuss meat, for instance, right? So we could be saying, right, okay, what's, what would be better to eat for the Petri dish, right? Would it be better to have antibiotic-fed, um, domesticated, industrialized animals that are not getting their physical, social, spiritual needs met, which means their cells are in a state of protection, or would it be best to have wild meat or a free-roaming animal that's had its physical, social, spiritual needs met? Yes, it's going to go through a process of um, being killed for us, but what would be better, right? And then we can take it to the plant kingdom, right? What would be better to pl in the plant kingdom? Monocropped, glyphosate-fed food, or would it be to eat you know, a, a really good quality organic veg, right? Do you know what I mean? That's, it, that's in its, its simplest form. And then you go to movement and play and sleep and rest. And that's just the physical dish. Then we go social needs and spiritual needs. And if that's the way I view it now, it's kind of, that's it for me. It's kind of, it's, it's I love that. It's really funny. I, I honestly, I'm with you. I really get you. It's how I live my life anyway. And I'll probably still working towards it in some aspects as well. I'm also mindful of that. But at the same time, it's sort of like we're going back to what we always knew. It's mm. because like, as a point of civilization now, we always look around. I think like even just today when I've driven to London and stuff, and people perceive that this have this perception that we're at this point where we're we're, we're better we're better off than we've ever been before. But however, the the data the data the real data if you look at the real data doesn't really suggest that. But in terms of sort of um, well GDP growth rather than cellular. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But um, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say again. I lost my train of thought completely. I was going to say something really interesting. The environment yeah. Yeah. The, the aspect of thinking that we're at this point where we're we're better off than we've ever been before. But at the same time, all these practices that people's doing and eating the, the, the way that we're sort of raising animals and 
people are trying to lean towards anyway is people are actually trying to spin the modern day system on its head and go back to the way it was in the past so it's it's just really interesting how we think we're so advanced like we are now but the data in terms of psychology that's coming out by sort of um all the different psychologists around the world is suggesting that actually we've gone with we might be might have all this amazing technology we've got this technology now to record this conversation but at the same time we are losing something that's very vital mm-hmm. and you need to be careful in case we go too far one way and neglect the other aspects i want to ask you a question is how do you how do you in your own self how do you manage that that balance because for me i'm struggling <laughs> like the between the sort of the the monday human versus a the sort of a more rewilding human well, again, I, I, again, it's the Petri dish. So first I have to alter my perception of the Petri dish. Otherwise, what would I be? I'd be this fearful human, not being able to get behind a camera, yeah. not be able to go on the tube, go in public transport. Um, I wouldn't exist in a city unless I altered my perception of that environment to begin with. So then you have to change the signal, which will change the vibration. It's not enough, though, to just go... I'm okay. Do you know what I mean? It's much deeper than that. So if you look at Wim's work, Wim Hof, and you know, they inject him with E. coli, it wasn't like they inject him with E. coli and he goes, I'm going to be all right. He's going much deeper. It's a belief. It has to be full embodiment. Belief. A a belief of the petri dish, let's say. It has to be right. Okay. I honestly believe that what we're doing right now is, is part of something that's going to enable people to more people to exist within a growth promoting petri dish because we're having this discussion and and we know that the pendulum's swinging and we know that it's heading over to a way that people are going back to old ways but that's not everyone so there's still people who haven't even arrived at the bus stop let alone got on the bus yet do you know what i mean point, there's only a small number of people actually on the bus in our bubble and what we need to be able to do is try and f- show them ways of living that would alter their perception of their petri dish their environment let's call it an environment now because i'm going to overkill the word petri dish right so for me it's that's the beauty of tech because i can now i can now have a room of say seventeen thousand people on my on my instagram not that they're all watching me but it's an opportunity for them to say ah in a city what you're kidding me i can go barefoot running i can go into nature within 15 minutes of here i can be swimming in the ponds already in Hampstead, right that means i'm really deeply connecting to nature I'm I'm in amongst the trees. I've got cold water immersion. There's people down there that builds community. I have human contact, right? I go, I take my kids there, which is family. So I've got family, friends, community, right? Human contact. There are loads of social needs being met. My physical needs are met because I'm in nature, deep nature, you know? So I think it's just, I, I look for as many opportunities. I'm an opportunist, I would say that. So it might be I have to go on the tube. Do I sit on the tube? Do I hell? You know, it's that's a protection state. A growth state would be to stand or hang or squat or surf or do other things that I'm an opportunist within the environment. Doesn't mean I'm not breathing the same toxic air, but you know, I'm going to be nasal breathing. You know, it's again, I'm not going to be breathing through my mouth. And again, I look at the stairs. Okay, the stairs are an opportunity. Oh, wow, I get to do a bit of hill climbing now. I can run up the stairs. You know, it's just... Little simple uploads just to view your environment differently, I think is incredibly empowering. But it has to start with that percept, it has to be a perception shift because this, the the environment isn't going to change. Only I can within it or it breaks me or I have to move. We moved from one environment. We were living in Windsor and we lived on a green and it had everything going for it, right? It's a community. We could leave the doors open. It's like going back in time, not far out of London. 
I could leave the front door open and the back door open. Kids would run in and out. You'd wake up, there'd be like another kid in the room. So I'm like, you all right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're different down number five. And you're like, okay, right, great. Just playing with Lola, okay. And then they run in and out, which is amazing, beautiful. But we'd be- become almost, we become socially extreme for people on there. We don't have furniture. We ground live, right? Our food was completely different to anyone else because we're going back a bit of time. Everyone was eating processed food and there's sugars and the kids were coming home like, <sighs> we're like, what the fuck? What's, what's happened to you? You know? Oh, well, nothing, nothing, nothing. And we're like, okay, all right, we get it. You've had some sugar and they don't want to admit they're having sugar. So now I'm alienating my kid, you know? Yeah. So it's like, what do we do? Do we remain in the petri dish and then alienate our kids, become socially extreme? And then tell our kids they can't have stuff, but that's culturally it's the wrong thing to do. They're being cultured into something, or we move. So we moved to Ibiza. We lived in Ibiza. We lived on a farm. The kids then exchanged everything for amazing organic food the whole time. They were out in the sun the whole time. They were naked all day. We'd have to drive to a beach still, but they'd get in the car naked, drive to the beach, get on the beach naked, swim, get back in the car. And it, do you know what I mean? It was just a, just a very different experience. But what that enabled us to do, I think was can go deeper into a sense of community there where people were more aligned i'd say i'd say more aligned there's still an element of drugs and drink and stuff like that because that's the culture of the island as well still but if you didn't get involved with that which we didn't because we went to bed early we'd be in bed by nine o'clock then it was a very different it was a very different thing our thing existed we were like we're daytime beings i try and align that as well not try and become the nighttime being because Again, it's, I think it's very unnatural for us to be out at night um, when all the night predators are out. Do you know what I mean? It starts to, I think the pacifiers come in to deal with the negative effects of that that we don't really pick up on. Yeah. I wanted to touch on some of the aspects to sort of some of the practical things that you're doing because I know the barefoot running one's a big one for you. I want you to sort of describe why, why is that important to you and what's the benefits of it for you? Well, I've been a, I, I started out kind of as a, when I started out as a kid. <laughs> in nature, running around barefoot. Um, and then I became, I was involved with a guy called Nicholas Romanov, who's a track and field coach in the Soviet era. And he discovered a specific posture that everyone has to go to. It was now called the pose method. And that posture is the closest thing that's aligned to people in nature, let's say. And it would mean that it was a natural posture. They were upright. And then there was a specific pattern that you see them all doing, that they go into this one pose. And and then the obvious thing from there would be, right, okay, if you remove the shoes, then you get more of a natural outcome because that would be the natural environment of the foot is nature, not the shoe. So the petri dish of the foot is not a narrow shoe of a cushioned heel, it's nature. So um, that was kind of the first signal really was to really get into a physical need would be running is just uh, a micro element of the macro skill of movement. And movement is a micro skill of the macro skill of your physical self. That makes sense. And so to really understand running, what are the micro elements of running? And they would be, right? You'd, okay, you'd have the appropriate posture, right? How do we get that? Uh, squatting, hanging, and these other things that would be, you witness the people in nature are doing. The best runners in the world aren't sitting in chairs. I'd say the, the, let's look at the natural beings, the best runners of the world. I say the ones that have actually got the right form. Um, and they certainly don't wear shoes, right? And so there's the physical part of running, but then it helps me tap into something else, which is a spiritual component of running, which is making a connection to the earth. 
which we don't really talk about. And then through things like breath work, I go into I go into like meditation. I'm like off on one when I'm running. It's like I can just go out and just I'm breathing. I've got a connection to the earth. It's beyond a physical experience. It's beyond a cardiovascular experience, put it that way. It becomes something very deep for me. I'm not expecting everyone to go out barefoot running. That's why I work with brands like Vivo Barefoot because it, it still creates the the appropriate petri dish at least. Yeah, the bridge. For the foot, exactly. Yeah. So that because it's not natural to run around it's perfectly okay to run around on hard surfaces like concrete and tarmac. In fact, I prefer people to do that than go and try and trail run over rocks, boulders and and logs and root systems because you have to be incredibly skillful to run barefoot over there. But on hard surfaces it means you become softer. So first of all it enables people to become more soft and compliant. Um, which is a very important ingredient for your tendons and things like that and muscles to understand their role and to understand gravity. It's just a different response for the mind. Let's say, let's not call it the body. That's the mind has to understand that first. Um, and then as I say, and then the, the, but the footwear Vivo or any minimalist barefoot shoe, for instance, means that I don't have to deal with the, um, the, the paraphernalia that's left behind by the suffering culture, which is like glass and, needles and god knows what else is on the pavement i was going to ask you as well about the stigma around it because obviously yeah. i know i've seen on your instagram videos where you run around with your sort of top off and your bare feet and things like that i do i do the same as well but i don't, I don't sometimes i just don't put it on instagram yeah but i do that quite regularly so i'm with you i'm completely with you on the all the aspects of it but is there any is there a stigma around when you do that because sometimes when people see me i see people raise an eyebrow and look at this funny and stuff look i i've gone well beyond that in my life now um you know, I can be on the tube barefoot or I can be walking around Hampstead barefoot. Um, I think I get more looks then. Whereas running is kind of, I think maybe people are just used to seeing me do it now. I don't know, but or I'm just oblivious to it now. I do get, you know, occasionally there'd be a car just, you can just see them stop and look out, like look out the window as if so, what the fuck? I get an alien running along the road. You know, really like crazy. And then they're like, you know, <laughs> looking at me as if I'm mad. But, um, I, th I think going back to the tube, for instance, I mean, me standing on the tube or squatting on the tube or hanging on the tube, I'm not doing it to be socially extreme. I'm doing it to be an opportunity to help me feed my needs again, not my wants. Might, there might be part of me wants to sit down, you know, because of course we're governed by this response is about conserving energy and minimizing the risk of injury. Um, so we have to work really hard as a human being in the modern environment because the modern environment is set up to be incredibly convenient. And going back to blue zones is about inconvenience, isn't it? If I live a life of inconvenience, ah, oh, really? I get to live past a hundred? You kidding me? You know, it's kind of that conversation needs to be in place. And if the people are looking at me on the tube, it, it could be just, it could be me looking at them. Do you know what I mean? So I've, I've gone past that stage of the only people I think is important that I can, I'm concerned with staring at me is children because they need to observe my behavior. Do you know what I mean? Whereas an adult, I can give a shit if an adult's looking at me as if say, look at this crazy man doing this. Cause I, I could be, I could equally be looking at them going, do you realize what you're doing to yourself by sitting on a train like this yeah. in that rubber necked posture, staring at your phone in your compromising footwear? Do you find yourself doing that? No, because I, I, again, see, I, 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 I still do as well. Sometimes I can't help it. It's some sort of, cause you know, like the aspect, I think we all have an aspect within ourselves of like sort of judging and stuff. I don't know if it's just a, a more of a call than that I want to actually go up to someone and just say, you know, you could do this. You, have you ever looked into this? I don't know if it's an aspect of that or it's just an aspect of my ego sort of. But there is well. there's ego within, but there's also there's the, the pathways, right? So I, I wrote, a, it, was a, it was a joke really, the blog. I might read it out, it's probably easier. Should I do that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
and it was like this le- I, I woke up I did a meditation and I woke up with this it's shit you know kind of feeling and um it might explain things a bit better so I, I kind of went um, steps of enlightenment so step one disconnected feeling shit but not recognizing your own shit yeah mm-hmm. um, frustration recognizing your own shit but rather than dealing with your own shit being a shit by complaining about everyone else's shit compassion understanding your own shit where it came from and will have empathy for where the shit came from that others are experiencing too Step four, being the change, wanting to heal all the shit so the younger generations won't have to feel shit no more. And then five, which is kind of consciousness, would be being so experienced with shit that you know that having shit is just as important as not having shit. You are the shit. You need to shit to build shit. Bathe in the shit and it smells good. I am, I am, I am. <laughs> I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's like it feels always, for me, like your rungs of a ladder. And if I catch myself looking at and observing other people's behavior and judging them, then it usually means that there's something out for me at that moment, because really we should be a bit more compassionate again. And the only thing you can be is like these bright studio lights is, is be the light, right? And be the beacon to show, ah, this is, this is what you can be doing, right? Rather than berating on people getting frustrated, because the moment you get frustrated with it, or you're, you're, you're basically removing something from yourself from being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've already lost the ability to be the change whilst focusing on others. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I wanted to sort of dive into the aspect of, cause I know you're going to be doing this, this barefoot run as well. Yeah. And for me, obviously that, that seems like a long distance because I've had experience with barefoot running. I did, um, not as long as what you, what you, how far you do, but I think I did just, I think three or four mile one day barefoot running and my feet were, I would say I'm quite regular bare, barefoot, but even when I did a, it was like sort of on concrete and stuff. My feet were all teared up and stuff. Well, I did eight. I did eight miles this morning. How they're looking? Yeah, fine. Nothing they're fine, right? Yeah. And they're like jelly. So there's like you just build, you build like fat pads, don't you? Yeah. Definitely. The nature's response to it. Um, and I'll be doing. I'm, to those that don't know, so I'm running Lands End John O'Groats barefoot, thirty miles a day for thirty consecutive days. Um, and it seems again, it's extreme, isn't it? And most people go, oh, that's, that's crazy, but it's crazy because we do get to see images of people attempting things or doing challenges and not preparing their physical body for it. And it's just a mental thing. I'm going to go and do this. But then the problem that we also have then is that we have this platform to show that. Mm-hmm. And if we do that and we show our feet cut to pieces, which I, that we see regularly, then I'm, f- um, unfortunately it seems even more extreme and less people would want to go near it and for me it's it's perfectly natural to run around barefoot um especially in nature right it should be that should be the thing it's only footwear only came in like running shoes in 1969 i mean it's like that talk about the generational amnesia um so i i, I think the mileage side of it doesn't bother me and also it was just an opportunity really to use that socially extreme <gasps> moment that people will experience to create a platform. And I listened to Greta Thunberg, you know, she did this yeah, EU yeah, parliamentary talk, right? And it was the bigger the platform, the bigger the responsibility. And it was like, right, okay, I've got this social media platform. Let's use it. And let's now turn the run into something that is beyond running. Already I'm getting a running, I'm getting a physical, social, spiritual experience from it, but let's go bigger and let's, I've done all this amazing work myself. What's the bigger picture? The bigger picture is the Petri dish. So, 
how do we change that? Okay, I'm going to do a run for sustainability and environment. So each day I get to interview sustainability and environment and environmental experts, you know, yeah. which be, I mean, it's going to be a cool thing yeah, to do, right? I want to just dive in a bit as well. Just I'm obviously be mindful of the time. I don't know what time is. Well, I think we're coming near the end now, but yeah. respectful of your time. But at the same time, I would I'd love just to sort of you to, to maybe break down some of the practical things that you're actually doing in your day to day life. Because I know you're doing obviously cold exposure. You like you said, you're walking barefoot, and obviously even some practical tips in your in your living environment as well. Mm. Um, absolutely right. So um, we well we're a family, so we co sleep. So that means that all the young ones get their physical, social, spiritual needs met because we all co-sleep and it doesn't create any attachment issues then. Um, and builds trust and they get oxytocin and, you know, happy hormones met and everything else. Um, we then, we ground live so we don't have any sitting furniture. And ground living would mean like we're doing now, but there's a there's hundred rest positions rather than just being one that we're in now or one being the chair. Just like sort of creating that environment to promote more movement. Absolutely. So that if you imagine like walking is, let's call walking a macro skill. Walking, standing is a macro skill. Walking is a macro skill. Running, jumping, lifting, carrying, swimming, balancing, whatever. Um, what's the micro element of that? And the micro element is all the rest positions that are on the ground. And those rest positions work like, it's like an intelligent, like Rubik cube, let's say. And it, all the joints understand their roles and you build postures and forms. And that then uploads into that macro state of standing. So if you want to become great at standing, have an amazing physiology and posture, you look at wild beings again. And what are wild beings doing? Oh, they ground live. So, okay, I don't have, you're telling me I don't have to go to yoga and Pilates? No, because yoga and Pilates, a lot of the patterns that we have are because of the symptom of our culture. So if we sit for long periods of time, I have to then go to classes to try and unravel it. But the moment I go back to a chair, I then have to go back to the class because the class is the symptom really for not looking directly at the cause. So yeah, I, I, we ground live and that then makes my posture and my physiology much stronger to be able to go out and do the task of say running. Um, then we have a bar set up there for the kids to hang and experience hanging because part of that physiology is that we were brachiating apes if we understand a bit of evolution within it and we have all the same brachiating abilities in the wrist the elbow the shoulder and the scapula so hanging is a really important part of that so they hang that helps lift their rib cage helps their respiratory system um breath work i do daily breath in the morning i kind of whatever's happening doesn't matter what's going on in the world um i get from the bed to our living area i get the doors open and i do my mobility just to get into my locomotive joints i do some groundwork to open up so i can sit and then i sit and i and i breathe and i do nasal breathing um in deep inhales and exhales through the nose and I, whatever cycles someone it might be 100 the other one i might go oh, i'm going to do a 10 minute breath session it might be 300 cycles whatever whatever i have time for um and then i usually do a bit of cold so i, I do a cold bath or something like that um that's kind of that's kind of my morning. Then evenings are different because we honour the sleep cycles of that as well. So it's everything gets dropped off and dumbed down by nine, um, so that we can get all the replenishing hormones in for that. What about cycle the, the, like the nutrition aspects of stuff as well? And we're ninety five percent plant based, so um, and we we we're good on that. Yeah. We're good. On, I'm I'm like forty four now, and I'm you know I I just. In terms of what my output per day, 
um, is incredible. And considering, you know, because most of it, I went down a path years ago of being paleo and keto and this and that. Yeah. I'm now I'm now a Tony, so I say I'm 95% palm based. I'm not. I'm a Tony. Like my kids are Lola, Amelia, and Tallulah, and yeah. Katerina's Katerina, and the new boy that's going to be coming into the world will be the boy, right? And whatever he needs. And so I think we a, a long my own journey has been dropping the wants and establishing what the needs are within my own petri dish. Yeah, because everyone's individual. It, exactly. It's sheer arrogance for me to sit there and tell anyone what they should be eating. So I try and I try and avoid it. Because really, the, be- the, the fundamental thing is to get your digestion in check. So get your digestion checked first, because you could have, we could both be sitting here, we could be eating an amazing diet right now. Let's say we've got this most amazing feast in front of us, full of all the nutrients, and we've been told that everyone suggests you should be eating this shit. Um, great, but your digestion might be op- not optimum. So are you going to synthesize with those foods? No. So then we have to say, right, okay. I might have a really terrible plate of food right here right now, but I've got the optimum digestive system. I would benefit more from a shitty diet than you would from a good quality diet. So the key is digestion. That's the foundation of what a diet should be, right? It should be just digestive system. And we live in tech now, so you can go and do MyViome, MyViome UK, get get an app, get that, send off your poo sample, that then comes back. And it will give you foods to minimize, foods to maximize, foods to remove, and foods that are superfoods. And that will help you nourish the environment of the gut. That's not talking about cellular health. That's just the microbiome, right? And then that then distributes the wealth of what you're eating to the petri dish, the cells, for them to be in a state of growth or protection, right? Um, and, and then what foods you assimilate with, you'll probably have a better understanding of it. It's funny though as well, sorry to jump in as well, because so many points, honestly, we, we'll have to do this again. I, I know yeah. we'll push for time, dear. but even the sense of like the, the new data that's coming out now on the, on the good biome and stuff and how that's, how even cultures of the past also said that that was a, that was our thinking brain. The gut yeah. was the thinking brain. Gut brain yeah. yeah. And there's aspects of when we're, um, there's aspects new, sorry, there's new data coming out now. What's suggesting that, that the, the dictation from that good in terms of your, the interactions you have, the choices you choose in your life is massive. So getting, trying to get in tune with it, you're good and how that feels and when, how you're processing foods, what's the right foods for you is, is a really key. Yeah. It's, it is ultimately that's the, it's symbiotic relationship. That's it. Whereas we have kind of, we have a dysbiosis, right? So if you look at those again, how do we know that? Right. Okay. You go to nature again and we look at the tribes, right? We look to the wild beings of the world. And studies show that some of them have got like a third more bacteria than we have. I mean, it's just insane. Did right? you hear that? There, sorry, to jump in again. Did you hear <laughs> that? Uh, the guy who actually ingested the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. bacteria. The, sorry, the, the the microbiome of the of the hunter gatherer tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really stayed fun. with them, yeah, right? He was yeah. there for a month, wasn't he? But I think it's when he when he went back to his everyday environment. Unfortunately, the petri dish took over, and he went back to the same microbiome levels. I mean, you can have stool transplants and stuff like that that will help organize it, but I think ultimately you then need to address this. Zach Bush, right? Zach Bush, I love Zach Bush's work. So his thing was about, I have a whole thing around sensory perception and understanding nature and being in nature because we're sensory deprived, right? So if you go from the same linear box to the next linear box on the same linear box piece of transport, you're only ever, the neuroplasticity isn't being rewired or wired. It just remains the same. And we just become these intellectual species and only rewire one part of our brain, right? But through sensory genomics, we understand that, ah, we need to keep uploading that sensory, sensorial beings. His thing was to explore into microbiome. So it's, it's the microbiome that we need at the same time. So 
it's one thing to go from one linear box to the next. You're only absorbing that microbiome from those environments too. So that's another ingredient is to get out into nature. So one important message I would say is this 83% of the UK live in urban environments, spend 90% of our time indoors. I did four talks over the weekend. Not one of the people that any of those talks was doing two hours 24, that's 10%. I asked people to put their hand up, who's spending an hour outside? There were two people in amongst 30 people in a group were getting an hour outdoors. So the rest of that microbiome, what is that microbiome they're, they're, they're obtaining, right? So the key is, I would say, set a timer and try and try or set a, just hit go on a timer when you go out and see how long you're spending out, and then try and get into this new game of let's see if I can spend more time. Firstly, uploading a new sensory experience, but also uploading a new microbiome experience, because it's that ultimately that would give us that that growth protection model, you know? Yeah. And the better you feel in those environments, the more you enhance the unnatural environment too, and the more nature you want to bring into those habitats at the same time, you know? Yeah. I was just gonna quickly add to that little practical tip, something that I do is see if somebody can't kind of get outside for some reason, is I have a habit now in the morning is as soon as I wake up, the first practice I do is actually open every, every single window in the house. Yeah. Because when you open a wind, when you open windows in the house, it flushes all that oxygen through. And just like you said, yeah. starts shaping that new environment straight away. Yeah, yeah. And what, what better environment than the oxygen that you breathe in every single day? Yeah. And people, you know, even in a city, cause we look at that and we go, Oh, we can't open the windows in the city. Well, actually, you know, some of it's proven that it's two and a half times more pollutants in the building yeah. than there is outside. And especially in the bedroom, you've been in your bedroom. If, you, if you're getting optimum, let's say you're in there for between six and eight hours, then you know that that six to eight hours breathing in and out of the same air. So you can go down the path of air purifiers and stick plants in there, which help. Yeah. You know, put nature scenes into a building. There's studies on that, which are quite incredible. Like you could have a flip book that show you urban settings. People are in the sympathetic state, back in the petri dish, sympathetic state. They show them a nature scene and they go parasympathetic. So that's another thing. Even if it meant a big screensaver on your computer that's a nature scene would be better than staring at just a load of, you know, just the screen itself. Does that make sense? So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's it all comes down to that perception, I think. You know, change the perception of the environment, change the perception of others. Yeah, definitely. I just want to quickly add, I know I'm mindful of the time, but I just want to add this before, because when you were speaking before, I thought it was important to bring this up, because I know if in the right way wild and scene is, that you've seen before about the labels and stuff yeah. like people say oh i'm the rewilder i'm the vegan i'm the paleo people like that and i think it's just a big bit of thing that i think you you recognize this as well like you said before you're not your diet's not you're not paleo you're not vegan you're your I'm diet tony, yeah, yeah. yeah you're tony yeah but i think it's really important to not attach yourself to them to them identities because you put yourself in a box and then you, be, you, you feel that you are the box and then if you anything else in your life wants to change where say if you're a vegan for a certain amount of period and then you feel like actually this is not really aligning with me anymore now I'm having health problems I'm not saying people are having health problems but if that comes up oh, people do from that position you cannot you find you, you can but you find it very hard to to remodel who you who you are who you think you are so I think it's important not to sort of attach yourself to the leader. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how long would you be, and how long do you then spend in stress before you say, "Well, enough's enough. It's time for me to out. I need to come out of the closet. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this." You know, it's much more stressful within that period of time. So, absolutely, don't put, don't, don't put any labels on yourself. It's like, the, it's like the Captain Fantastic thing. Again, yeah, people can call me it, but it's just a label. I don't have long hair anymore. I shave my hair off, right? You know, it's, it's, it can be anything. It can be. I've been paleo before and I've been keto 
so it doesn't have to be right i'm a vegan and vegan a vegan diet if you do anything for too long a period of time your digestion will it will get to a point where you may not feel healthy again you have to change things and that might be you might be paleo and thinking oh this isn't really working for me but i've been boasting about being paleo i'm interested in maybe going more plant-based but i can't because i've been you know it's just it's absolute nonsense anyway because again it goes down that path of Firstly, it doesn't matter what people think of you. That's, it's not none of your business what other people think of you. Well, it is if they're under the age of six because it's quite important for the templates. But other than that, it's none of your damn business what other people think, you know? But don't put, but firstly, I, I, yeah, I think don't live in the extremes where you put yourself out there where it goes, I'm this, you know, because there is no room there. You know, yeah, I love that, and I think that as well. That goes for everything. It doesn't. It's not just nutrition. It's not just movement. It goes for, it goes for the wheel of your life. It goes for beliefs that you hold in yourself about a certain person or a certain topic or whatever it is. Always be open to change. Beginner's mind, man. You have to always have a beginner's mind because otherwise you you stagnate. Right? It goes down that neuro. It's neuroplasticity again, isn't it? Right? Imagine just being so rigid in a belief system. You remain in that belief system. You are not learning anything beyond that. You know, and that's a terrible path to walk, really. Cool, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. Really awesome. Awesome podcast. Thank you. Now, that was a cool conversation. I really loved sitting down and chatting to Tony there. Really was a cool conversation about how to rewild our human. It really is a fascinating topic, and I'm sure this is going to be a topic that comes up more and more in the future. Really wanted to have longer with Tony, but as I mentioned in the intro, as I was driving into London, it really is a nightmare driving in London and I got lost a few times and Tony was on a tight schedule. He had a few clients in the afternoon so he, he could only give us a certain amount of time. So hopefully next time I won't get lost and next time me and Tony have a conversation we can go much dive much deeper into the topic of rewilding our human and get some more gems out of that. But anyway it was still a good conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I just wanted to mention as well if you can please check out the patreon page it really is the best way and the only way to support the podcast so thank you so much to all the current patrons who do support through that and if you can all i'm saying is just check it out so anyway just to play this podcast out i'm going to play a song and as you will see it is a very fitting song for this style of conversation that of the topic that we talked about so anyway this is a song called animal and it's by a by two artists called jenny and johnny I don't know the second names, but that's all it says anyway. So enjoy this song by Jenny and Johnny called Animal. Enjoy, people, and I'll catch you next week as always. Peace out. We must modernize Jerusalem. Detonate the temples. Let them fly over the time.
Just to make a scream